good, my brother. And by the way, Tom Karen and I were in Portland, Maine at the same time when he worked in local TV and I worked for the <laughs> local radio station, FM 103, back in the late 90s. I didn't know you spent time in Maine. I thought it was Albany right to ESPN. Yeah, no, the first job I ever had that was a paid professional job that I got in radio, I worked in Portland, Maine from 1988 <laughs> through 1990 when it was FM 103, then it became Thunder 107. So I always have a great appreciation <laughs> for that state and also Portland's one of the most underrated cities on the East Coast. Oh, that's awesome. I have actually never been to Portland, Maine. I've been meaning to go, oh. so I'm, uh, oh. I know, I got to oh. add it. I got to add it. So, hey, yeah. let's uh, let's talk Patriots. It's weird to talk Patriots after a win here, but they beat the Buffalo Bills 29-25. They're now 2-5 and five on the season. Does Sunday's performance change your opinion of Mac Jones in any way? Well, it doesn't change my opinion, mainly because I thought for the first time, Brady, since he's been in the National Football League, that he actually looked like a quarterback who was comfortable running an offense that looked sort of familiar to him. It was as if somebody got to Bill Belichick, tied him up, sat him on a chair, put a spotlight on him and said, are you going to let Mac Jones be quarterback and coach well by Bill O'Brien? And if you're not, then why are you wasting everybody's time? because that's why he brought in Bill O'Brien to bring him from Alabama as an offensive coordinator, his return to the New England Patriots, to make Mac Jones better. And it seemed for the longest time until Sunday that he was handcuffed. There was great imagination with the play calling. There was great in terms of combination rules to get people open, getting the ball to playmakers. We hadn't seen that from the Patriots all year long. And if we don't see it going forward, then what are they doing when it comes to Mac Jones? You know, it's interesting. I, I think – now, I buried the Patriots weeks ago, right? I said the season was over. But I think people would like to see what they can do against Miami this week, right? If they could beat Miami somehow and get to 3-5, and five, well, just maybe you're on the fringes of being able to do something. But, Freddie, the trade deadline is also next Tuesday. If you're going to make moves that involve selling – you better be listening on that now, and I don't know that you're going to be able to just see what happens Sunday and then all of a sudden turn a bunch of things around for Tuesday. If you're the Pats, how do you handle the looming trade deadline? That's a good question because I don't know if they're going to be sellers or buyers. They may do what they normally do, and that is stand pat because anybody that you add to this team, are they going to make them exponentially better? where you believe you can compete not just in the AFC, but in the AFC East. And if you move on from somebody, how many times we've seen that that person doesn't play well when he goes to a different location. They're very good at unloading problems in the organization and making that person somebody else's problem. So you have to be very worried that the Patriots call you on the phone, not just to say, hi, you need to hang up that phone if you're any other NFL franchise because they're trying to unload somebody that they don't want. I think the Patriots see the kind of football team that maybe they have right now, that there may not be a need to make any kind of move. Move, excuse me. But they're not going to part with draft picks. They're not going to part with players. They'd rather cut somebody and move on from them than try to trade and get draft picks when it's all said and done. See, that's interesting because I think the Pats are so devoid of talent. I think they need picks in the future so i'm not in favor of total sell-offs in football right this is not baseball where you just unload 15 guys because you don't have a minor league system to go and replace these guys mm -hmm. but i could see the patriots listening on kendrick Bourne and or jabril peppers somebody like that yeah i could definitely see that because if you're a team out there for example look what the philadelphia eagles brady were able to do where they get a guy kevin byard who is really going to help them in the back end and they've had injuries that have kind of taken away their effectiveness when it comes to the secondary. It would be that kind of move as somebody you believe can be an extra piece to help your football team. If you think you need a third wide receiver, then Bourne exactly fits that skill set, what you're looking for. The question is, how much of the page is going to want in return? 
And if that price is too high, that means they can't wait to try to flee somebody. And you got to be very, very careful when you get a rental and you're hoping that guy's going to work, but then you give a part of your future that you don't have either. Going doesn't work out. You got to move on from him. And now you don't have that draft pick that you use to try to bring them in and think that that was going to work. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's transition to the Celtics now. Opening night, 7 o'clock. We're just, you know, minutes away from the Celtics opening up with your New York Knicks. What are, what are you most excited to see tonight out of the Celtics? What are you most interested in learning here on night one? I can't wait to see how Kendrick Perkins, excuse me, Kendrick Perkins, I'm going back to the old Celtics <laughs> days. I'm, I, I can't wait to see how Christoph Porzingis, uh, that works with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, because that's the one thing I can't wait to see. I don't have any doubt about Drew Holiday. He's going to make them better in the backcourt. He's going to get things orchestrated. He's a terrific defender, even in the era of meet-meet point guards that are like roadrunners in the NBA. He can level off those guys at both ends of the floor. I want to see how this long lineup is going to work when it's going to be on the floor at the same time. When you got Christoph Porzingis, who's 7'3, you got Jason Tatum, who's 6'9, you got Jalen Brown, who's 6'8. I want to see how that works, especially on the defensive end, because if they're able to have that kind of connection, Brady, and that communication, it's going to be very, very hard to get past those two guys on the exterior when it comes to Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And it's going to be hard to get the ball to the rim on the interior when you got Christoph Porzingis being that goalie at the front of the rim, because he's shown he's been able to do that. That's the one thing I can't wait to see the Boston Celtics that when they're on the floor at the same time, how that's going to work when it comes to the flow on offense and especially the communication and the connection on defense. I'm interested in seeing the inside-outside balance offensively. A lot of preseason action that I watched involved seeing pick and pop or mm-hmm. Porzingis standing in the corner. And look, he was an, he's an excellent three-point shooter. That is going to be a big part of their offense, but... If he's going to be a guy who floats out on the perimeter all the time, well, then you become a pretty jump-shooting team. Where's your inter- in- inside rebounding at? That would be one of the things I'm interested in watching today is kind of what's Porzingis' inside-outside balance. And I wonder how much of that will have to be on Joe Mazzula, the head coach, because if you feel that he has a size advantage and you got him drifting out behind the three-point line, then to me, Brady, that's just bad coaching. That's just bad deployment of players. If you have that kind of advantage, because more often than not, whoever is guarding him, he's going to have at least a four to five inch height advantage. Why do you not try to have him get down in the post and shoot over the top of smaller defenders and not just drift out to the three-point line or pick and pop and drift out behind the three-point line, whether it's on the elbows or at the top of the key? So as much as you're right about that, with you don't want to see that so much with Christoph Porzingis, if you're Joe Mazzula, if you see that kind of mismatch situation, you can't make him a jump shooter. you got to get him into the box and have him shoot the turnaround and shoot the jump hooks over smaller players. And if you're not doing that, then really you're not maximizing the full effect you can get off a guy like Christoph Porzingis, who has that kind of offensive game to make that work. You know, I've said this a lot before. I think that there's a lot of selfish young players in sports, and I don't mean that as an insult, right? They're looking for a contract. They're looking for, you know, they're looking for something, so they're looking to establish themselves. Well, this Celtics team has talked a lot about the willingness to sacrifice and guys taking a night or a back seat one night. Maybe you get 25 one night and seven the next night. I think that's actually going to work with this team. Like, that's my gut. Everybody on this team has been paid. Everybody on this team has already reached that second contract. I feel like this team is actually going to be able to sacrifice in a way that they're talking about, where I think a lot of teams can't. Do you agree with me? It's interesting you say that because I wonder how much that the mindset will have to kind of stay the same, being a kind of tough-minded team. But what kind of sacrifice are you going to make sure that you're going to be a championship team? Because every championship team, 
they never talk about, okay, tonight is your night. Tonight is your night. They always say whatever happens in the Florida game, if someone is hot, that's where the ball has to go. If someone is cool, then you got to do other things to make sure you're not just decorating the court. You look at any team that no matter what they've been able to do, you know your stars have to show up. We started the Denver Nuggets last year. Then Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray showed up. But when they weren't playing well offensively, they did other things. Jamal Murray became an underrated defender. He was able to orchestrate that team and get them in positions before he got his offensive game going. That's what I want to see from the Boston Celtics because everything is not going to look like an and-one mixtape. There are going to be some nights where it's sludgy, CYO, why, you know, L.A. fitness basketball. What kind of sacrifices are you going to make as a star or a non-star to make sure that even if you're in a rut, you don't lose a game or lose a series because you're unwilling to sacrifice to try to do other things when your game is not working offensively? What are you going to do at all other assets of that basketball game to make sure you don't lose that game? Freddie, I'll get you out of here on this. UVM men's basketball has their first exhibition game this weekend. We're excited for Catamount. Hoops picked preseason number one again in the America East. Uh, Bryant was picked to finish third in this league. They're going through yeah. some coaching controversy right now. Their head coach, Jared Grasso, uh, kind of on administrative leave. There's a police video out of him talking about maybe being involved in a hit and run. I know you watched that police video as I did when it came out last week. We touched on it a little bit on this show. Just kind of overall, what was your reaction to what you saw from one of UVM's biggest rivals? I mean, it was pretty disturbing because especially the one part where Grasso is still arguing with the police and his wife is trying to calm him down. And he is, you know, pulling a bully situation by telling her to go away, that he wanted to handle that. And he tried to throw his name and his occupation and what he does. It was just really disturbing that instead of just saying, you know, let's go someplace and be quiet about this or go down to the station and try to work it out. He was trying to bully his way out of that situation as if to say he didn't do anything wrong. And that was the one disturbing thing about that to me, because I've known Jared for more than a second. And if you had told me that that would be the way he would react in that situation, I would say, well, He's a hard-charging guy. He's a very driven guy, but he's also been the kind of guy that can kind of calm things down in his mind and see the big picture. I was really surprised, Brady, to see that video. It seemed like that he wasn't aware of the big picture or felt that the big picture should not affect him. So going forward, you've got that going into the season, and Brian, in your second year, playing in the same league with Vermont and Stony Brook and everybody else, how are you going to handle that? Because you're going to hear those questions about, what about your coach? What about your coach? How are you handling that? And until you're able to win some games and put that in your rearview mirror, that's going to be the storyline regarding that team. And a lot of people believe that they could challenge for the championship and maybe get to the NCAA tournament, but they won't have their coach at any given time sooner or later when it comes to 2023-2024. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Freddie, enjoy opening night. Your Knicks, our Celtics. We'll catch up in seven days. Can't wait. Oh, it was a pleasure, my friend. Take care and be well, Brady.